Cloud. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Access Chat. Today, I am the only host, which is good, and I have one of my favorite people, uh, Dr. Greg Vanderheiden. Um, Neil is on holiday, and so is Antonio. So I, I hope they're having a wonderful holiday. I've heard legends of holidays, Greg. I've heard it, but <laughs> I haven't done one of those myself lately. But um, so welcome to the program. Can we start? I know that we want to talk about Morphic, and I'm very excited about Morphic. And so I really appreciate you coming on the program. But tell us more about who you are, because you have an amazing career. Uh, I have been a fan of yours for so long. I remember meeting you and just being a little bit of an awe of you. I, I just have been following your career a long time. So tell the audience a little bit more about who you are. Well, um, uh, this is my 50th year in technology and disability. Uh, it began in um, October of 1971 when I was tricked uh, into going out to a local school to see a young boy who uh, had cerebral palsy. Uh, severe athetoid cerebral palsy, and he could not speak or write. And he had just been uh, brought to the school. He'd been homeschooled up to then. He was 11 years old, and um, but he had no way of participating because uh, the only thing he had is he had a piece of wood on which they had wood burned the letters of the alphabet. And then he would point at about one letter every one to three seconds. Wow. So you can figure that out. That's like A- B, O, and you can see how that is. The other part is that even at that speed, if you looked up from the board, it was like putting your hand over his mouth because he, you shut him up because he couldn't talk if you weren't staring at the board. Well, this isn't going to work in a classroom. Nobody had anything. So uh, this other student tricked me into going out there and I would out there just because I was problem solving off the top of my head when the problem was described to me and this other uh, student, I was an undergraduate student at the time in electrical engineering. Um, and uh, he, I'd spouting off, well, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And, and he kept saying he didn't understand, which is crazy since he was a senior in biomedical engineering. He probably understood everything I was saying, but he, but he faked it enough that I fell for it. And I went out to the school to show him what I meant. And he knew that when I met the little boy, Lydell, um, that I would fall in love with him. He's talked, it was forever to get anything out of him for him to talk. Um, but he was spunky. He, he had a dry sense of humor. And so I quit my job, joined with David, and we started um, working on a solution for this uh, boy. Uh, and so we created something that could actually watch his very erratic sort of pointing motions. Um, and uh, we went on a telethon and then everybody started calling in from, from around the state and the neighboring states and wanting, said that they had a child like this too, could we do something for them? And so we just formed a student group and it was all student volunteers, it was not a class or anything like that. Uh, and we started working on solutions for these. And then uh, we ended up getting a, a grant from the National Science Foundation, uh, special permission from the university to, to be a principal investigator while we were still students. Um, and uh, the Trace Center sort of grew out of that. It, so it's actually the Trace Center is just an undergraduate student volunteer project run amok. <laughs> 
well and, and changing people's lives. So what university are we talking about? Well, I was at the University of Wisconsin for 48 years. Uh, and then I have recently moved to the University of Maryland uh, right here in Washington, D.C., um, and uh, where we joined up with a really fantastic group of, of, of young researchers and uh, are continuing on. Um, uh, so the, uh, it's uh, really been amazing. Uh, the first, uh, I just putting, somebody asked me to put together a book. So we're just putting together a, a write-up about all of the last 50 years. But um, the, uh, and then maybe that's time for a, another talk, but the uh, uh, working inside Apple in the 80s, I was actually able to, invited by Apple to come in and help them make their products accessible. And the head of product development, Randy Batat, uh, gave me permission to go anywhere and talk to anybody about anything. Now, think about wow. that in today's wow. Apple, you know, that. <laughs> especially with apple wow nope, nobody could do that today um <laughs> the uh but it was it was but this is before there were any rules so this is before there was um any laws or anything or regulations or anything about buying things making things accessible right and so this was really apple stepping out and <clears throat> but as i went around the only thing i had was um just the ability to talk to them you know and um, and uh, let them know that people with disabilities used it and, uh, and point out things that they could do. And we were successful in, uh, it, was, it was great. It's a fantastic group of people. And we were able to get accessibility features built into the uh, shipping versions of uh, uh, all of the operating systems. Um, like almost seven, eight years before that happened anywhere else. So this was a really, uh, really an amazing time uh, and uh, lots and lots of, of, of interesting stories uh, that go uh, through all the work. So um, the first nine of the first act, 10 access features that were uh, uh, built into Windows also were licensed from the Trace Center um, and Access DOS was uh, all those access features were uh, licensed by um, IBM to put into the wow. their version of DOS, et cetera. So, and then WCAG one and two came out of the Trace Center and stuff. So it's been a long. Uh, I did not know all that. I did not realize that history. That's amazing. Oh yeah, That's no, amazing. the first, yeah, the first web accessibility guidelines were from the Trace Center in 1995 after WWW2, the World Wide Web Conference two. Uh, and then um, we created the Unified. Uh, right after that, it blossomed to like 36. I'll have to go back and look exact number, different guidelines. And so then we worked to create a Unified set of guidelines, bringing them all together. Uh, and version eight of that was the first uh, working document for WCAG. When the W3C got involved, we transferred all of our work uh, over there and then just uh, supported uh, the efforts uh, uh, there for WCAG 1 and WCAG 2. Wow, that's amazing. I know I heard you speak at IEEE um, years ago, and I just, I was just amazed at the work you were doing and, you know, the impact you were having, you know, on, on individuals and humans. It was, um, and you started Raising the Floor. Oh, yes. So yeah. Raising the Floor is a nonprofit group that um, we started, and it's, uh, uh, it, First headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland, and then we have a second uh, one in um, 
in uh, Washington, D.C., and then there's one now in Brussels. Um, it is uh, a group that's looking at trying to create what we call a global public inclusive infrastructure, and that is that can we put together the pieces globally that we need so that we can actually create. So uh, a way for people anywhere in the world to find a device if it exists anywhere in the world around information communication. Um, a way to make it a lot easier uh, for people who want to develop new tools. Is there one place you could go, like we created the developer space that you can go to, to find all of the open source components and uh, we actually have there something called the uh, uh, a comprehensive uh, a listing of all of the different accessibility strategies. It's called the master list of accessibility strategies. And uh, we constantly give this to different people in the field and say, can you find any strategy for accessibility that's not on here? And we actually give you anybody who can find one. We have a $50 reward for anybody who can find one that's not on there to make sure that we get them all. And uh, even if you just find a paper that talks about one of them. So for each one of them, we actually have a whole page that talks about the, the strategy, the different disability groups, um, all of the different pieces of software that are free that use that strategy, and then the research papers. And we give a $5 reward for anybody who finds a research paper about any one of the techniques that we don't have listed. Um, so that we encourage people, we say, look, if you do research about one of these techniques and you get a bibliography of 100, send it to us, you get 500 bucks. You know, um, the, uh, we'll make sure that we have a place where people can find all this information because it's really hard. And it is. It is. the quality of the next generation is based upon how much they know about um, everything that either worked or the stuff that didn't work before. We learn uh, as much from our mistakes as we do from our our successes. That's Actually, true. We learn more from our mistakes, to tell you the truth. I think you're right. I think you're right. So how can, you know, is this something that raising the floor just offers for free? Is there a fee? Yeah. Only because at the same time, you know, this is a nonprofit that has to stay in business. So you also accept donations and things like that to support the work? Yeah, so so uh, the unified listing is free. Uh, it brings together 12 databases from around the world. Uh, you can see them all at gpii.net, um, uh, gpii.net. Um, okay. And you can find the unified listing there. You can find the developer space there and the master list and stuff. Um, also Morphic, which we'll be talking about a little bit later, uh, is also uh, free. Um, there are some advanced features that we are going to be um, uh, doing at a subscription to help pay for it. But actually what we've been doing is we've been getting uh, donations and contributions. And as we have, we've been lowering and lowering. And so now not only all of the individual, but all the institutional uh, uh, basic versions are free. Uh, and then uh, we'll see a bit, little bit later. Uh, also, we're developing ways of doing AT and and things like that as well. And of course, uh, the assistive technology uh, has to be uh, charged for because the money has to go back to the AT companies so that they right. can uh, create new and better AT. Uh, but we also support, for example, uh, free um, uh, open source AT, and we try to make sure that we try and get some funds back to the. Uh, open source people who do that so that they can keep those software uh, up as well, because it's, um, uh, you know, like NVDA, for example, is a, is a very powerful um, 
That's a screen, screen reader that um, uh, we need to make sure stays uh, up and flying. So. I agree. I agree. And that's one thing we want to do with Billion Strong is make sure that we're showing who's out there making a difference, which is why I've loved what you're doing with Morphic for a long time. And we really want to make sure the world knows about it. We've talked about, you know, who could benefit from it. And of course, I have a special love for refugees with disabilities. So I'd like to see the UN get more engaged to help get it out to the people that need it. But it, um, before we leave this topic, are corporations supporting what you're doing? Because I would think as society's expectations change uh, from our corporations, we expect you to be good corporations. We don't mind if you make money, nothing wrong with that, but we do expect you to be given back to society. So I think supporting raising the floor and the unified you know, document you talked about and Morphic. Um, it's a really good way for these corporations to show us they care about this community. Uh, yes, and um, we um, we have a long history of of uh, support from uh, from corporations. Um, and in one case, the uh, person said, "You know that the better exp- better use of our funds is if we can provide the funds to somebody external who's really good at something that would." cost less than for us to try and hire someone in to do the exact sort of same thing. So a lot of things can only be done inside a corporation, and that's good. Um, And uh, the ones that do research within their organization, that's also really good because that leaks into the rest of the company in ways that uh, that's very different than outside. Um, There's also a pride of of ownership. The the uh, when you go to a place and they uh, talk about the, the things that they've done um, uh, and you reinforce it. Um, I'll tell you a story once though. Um, at one of the early, when Microsoft was just getting into the accessibility area around blindness and things. And of course, blindness access uh, is hard. And in the beginning, they were making progress, but of course they were making, they weren't complete. So they showed up at a CSUN conference and they gave this presentation and they got grilled hard because um, it, it had been years. And Microsoft in previous years had not done something and had basically even made comments. Unfortunately, some people in the company had made comments on the order of, oh, well, people with disabilities, that's a specialty market. That's not our market. And um, which horrified other people that were in the room, but they weren't allowed to talk at the time. Um, it's very, very different there now. If you go to Microsoft and you talk oh, to them, I mean, all the way from the president on down, yeah. uh, you know, Microsoft talks about accessibility and uh, same thing at Apple. It's a completely different world. But back then they showed up at CSUN and they were trying to show their stuff. And so these were the people who were trying their hardest to do the accessibility and they got grilled. And oh, afterwards, yeah. uh, I walked up to, to thank them for what they were doing. And the guy just said, I, 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 I'm just, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, oh. I don't need to take this. You know, we spent all this time trying to do this. And we come here and all we did is get yelled at. Oh. And um, so um, they were really discouraged. And so we, I went and I got a number of people to go try and talk to them while they were there to get them to understand that, um, well, it was kind of like, you know, Lydell, that person that we talked about. Right. So we have a whole bunch of volunteer students and they had worked on this accessibility, uh, this communication aid forum, and they finally got it done. 
and uh, made a portable version of contractables with him. And he came in and he sat down at it and he started to spell something out and they, everybody's crowded around and we're expecting him to say, you know, thank you. And you know what he wrote? <laughs> what took you so long? <laughs> and, and the entire team was just crushed. You know, they were just, oh God, you know, you know, they felt terrible. This, you know, all that they had done and stuff. And, and afterwards I reminded them and I said, well, you know, we told him that he would have this, you know, like months ago, you know, and, and we've been working on this thing and it, and it was hard to do. But um, uh, a month ago, when you were out on a date, uh, he couldn't communicate. And then when you were out drinking last week, you know, he couldn't communicate. And so, you know, we were living our lives and he was unable to have this means of communication. And so, even though we did this amazing, wonderful thing as volunteer undergrad students that people hadn't done before, all this, you know, wonder, all oh, you guys are just beautiful. At the same time, look at it from his point of view, he's sitting there wondering, and, and unless you design or build something, you have no idea how hard it is. I agree. I agree. Have not the slightest idea. You know, why does it take 40,000 engineers or something to maintain windows or something like that? I mean, it's just like, or it's crazy or 4,000, whatever it is. Um, right. It's like, um, and so they don't realize how hard it is. So the, uh, this was one of the, uh, the things that um, we need to remember when we talk to companies, okay, that um, yes, uh, uh, who was it that was really good? I mean, a couple of people I know that come to mind that were really good. And Taylor was one. And she says, right. she said, and now she's at Microsoft and she said, right. she does the same thing there. She says, what you do is you praise them and then you hold their feet to the fire. Um, and, uh, and this is really, this is really correct. You need to um, always give them lots of credit for what they do, but don't, if, but if you stop there, by the way, then people sit back. Okay. He said, but then you need to also, um, you know, tell them what's the, what, what isn't happening. Uh, and that's the same, the model that, uh, that, that we've been using and that we find really is, is effective. But if you forget the first one, if you just always come at the companies with what they're doing wrong or what they haven't yet done, uh, it really can be discouraging. Uh, and you remember that a lot of the people who do accessibility sit in the middle. On one side are the uh, uh, they're in people inside that are trying to ship a product. And they're saying, you know, uh, don't tell me one more thing to do. You know, and right. it, it's not don't tell me about accessibility. It's like, don't no, tell me about anything. Right. Um, and accessibility is one more thing between them and shipping. And they're being screamed at to ship. All right. And on the other side, you've got the consumers who are saying it doesn't do any good to ship it if we can't use it. Right. And so the people in the companies who do the accessibility are between a rock and a hard place, if you will. And um, so it's really important to remember that. Again, it doesn't mean you don't hold their feet to the fire, but it does mean that you uh, make sure that you uh, give them the, the credit for everything they are and recognize that they are your allies. Right. They are not your enemy. Um, I agree. I agree. So. And just being a little kinder, I, I see corporations trying to help and not, they, you know, they don't know how to always help. And then just getting Sometimes they do. Slammed down. I mean, and it's like, and it, like you said, it really does discourage them. And it's like, well, we can't make these people happy. So we're going to go over here. There's a danger to our community by shying, you know, scaring them away. So they don't help. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we had one that worked with the local uh, uh, blindness organization to put in uh, uh, chirping uh, uh, lights, you know, uh, and it was in there. And the article that came out on the front page of the Sunday paper for the state's journal uh, came out and said, you know, the you know, uh, the Trans Department of Transportation, you know, obviously didn't talk to any blind people. This is degrading. This is demeaning, oh, wow. uh, you know, and today it's actually part of accessibility law. But they just the only the Department of Transportation went out on a limb to try to do this. They worked with the local blindness groups. And the article was just about how this was a terrible, demeaning uh, thing that shouldn't have done it and, and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And it was like, um, that's not going to help people to feel brave enough to step forward in, in the future. So we have to be careful of that stuff. People, oh, but sometimes they do mistakes. Sometimes people I do agree. really I stupid agree. things. Mm -hmm. I've done really stupid things <laughs> in my career with the blindness. And, and, and I'll say at one place, I got yelled at by some people who are blind. And then afterwards, it was, it was the, the thing that came up and said, but we know you mean well. And, and it was just, it wasn't all the people said that, but some people, and they said, um, it, and then they told me what I did wrong. And it was, I just used a wrong word, you know, well, that I was going to say, right. it, the whole message was lost because I used a That's wrong right. word. One word. So I spent a lot of time teaching people. There are just some words you don't use. Right. Um, and, um, and, uh, and it was one that they said, it's okay to use that word for any other disability, but ours, you know, <laughs> and it was like, it just, um, uh, there are, are different um, philosophies about things. So, I guess different triggers too. So I remember um, hearing that touch that screens could never be made touchscreen. We just it's just not possible. Yeah. And then of course I sat back and watched Apple do it, and it's like, oh well, I guess it is possible. So I I, I agree. I think we need to encourage the innovations and creativeness. But let's talk more about Morphic because I sure. want people to know about Morphic. And, but at the same time, Greg, I wanted people to understand who they're dealing with because you have an amazing career behind you, an amazing career. I, I, I know I'm, you know, a fan and stuff, but I, I just am so impressed with your work, always have been. And so I've always been a fan because you aren't just talking about it. You're actually really, really positively impacting the world. So you invited me and some other leaders Um Gosh, about a I, time is so weird for me these days. But maybe a year ago, to refamiliarize ourselves with Morphic, and I remember one of the leaders said, "Is this even needed anymore?" Because you know we have all these digital natives, and I thought it was interesting what you had said at one point because I'd never thought about it. And you said, "Well, but the reality is." the digital natives, they know how to use tablets and they know how to use their mobile phones, their cell phones, but they are not familiar with computers and laptops and Microsoft Office and things that you use inside the workforce. That is still new uh, to them, which I just thought was such an interesting point and another reason why I believe Morphic is so important. So I don't know if you want to just tell us a little bit about Morphic first or talk yeah. a little bit about that point. I mean, why, first of all, is more is morphic so important because I believe it is. Yeah, well, morphic does uh, several different things, and uh, one of them is for people who have what we call low digital affinity. And um, the um, 
a digital affinity is is like a talent. Some people can sing, some people can't. Some people can draw, some people can't. Some people can use technology, some people can't. Um, and if you if you look at the young people who quote are digital natives, um, you will find that they can do certain things really fast. Like they'll grab their phone and they can type out a text message uh, so fast that you just sort of look at them and you go, I, "That's not possible. They're not actually really typing something." Um, but then if you ask them, um, well, okay, if I send this to you uh, in email, uh, can you open this up and in, in Word and, and edit it? And they just look at you like, um, if you send me a text, I can text you back. If you go on this, I can do that. Uh, if you share it this one way, I can edit it. But if you send it to me in an email uh, or if I send it to you in email, you can get it, but I can't get it up. In other words, there are people who can make their technology sing and dance like you wouldn't believe, okay? But there are also young people who can't figure out how to use their technology or they use it what I call superstitiously. Um, that's like people who use their light switch every day to turn the lights on and you say, well, why does turning the light switch cause the light switch cause the lights to go on? And they go, because it's a light switch. You'd say, no, no, but, but, but how does it work? And and what if it doesn't come on? You say, well, change the light bulb. And I said, what if it still doesn't come on? And then it's like, I don't know, did I blow a fuse? Um, and you'd say, nope, it's something else. And then they have absolutely no idea what it is um, because they don't actually understand it. They just have used it. And um, But on computers, it's not so simple. They're not like flip a switch and it turns on. Um, there's so many complicated things. Uh, we have even people who are, uh, uh, and I get these stories all the time, people in computer science uh, where somebody will say, well, you have to show them how to do X because they know how to do this part of computer science, but they don't know how to do that part of, of operating a computer and operating system. And, um, the, and it just seems inconceivable, but you have to remember that there's different types of, of, of technology and talents. Um, and of course, we all celebrate when the technology guru gets up and can't get his, his uh, laptop to show up on the projector, right? Uh -huh. the, uh, and they sit up there and five people huddle around, you got three engineers <laughs> and, the, and, the person and they all can't get it to project. And the rest of everybody sits back and goes, ah, and that's because computers are so easy, right? No, right. it's not. It's no, they're not. The, right. um, so, and then of course we have uh, people, uh, and so we have people of all ages that have low digital affinity, and it's but they may be brilliant at doing other things that they need to have the computer for. Okay, right. uh, and then we have people who have disabilities uh, who also um, need to use the computer, but it's out of their reach. Right. And it can be out of the reach for, for a number of reasons. So uh, when we started out, Morphic was all about being able to, if you use an assistive technology, sit down at any computer and it would, if the AT was on there, it would set it up to be like yours. All right. So that's where it started. Uh, but then we found that that didn't work because when you went to a, P, a computer, um, most of the time your AT isn't going to be on that computer. Right. So you go to the library and you want to take this course in the basement in the, in their teaching lab. Um, and uh, you say, well, do you have any accessible computers? And they say, oh, yes. In the resource room on the third floor between the hours of nine and five, we have some computers that have, oh, I think uh, two pieces of AT, maybe three. Um, and I don't know if the one you need is on there, but, and the person saying, well, you know, I can't take the class. Um, because it's up there. 
Um, so the next thing that we did with Morphic is that we built in the ability to uh, uh, have it so that assistive technologies can show up. So we now have what we call installation on demand, where you can sit down to a computer and the AT that you need will show up on that computer. It brings it in, installs it, configures it just like yours. And then when you get up, it goes away. So your AT sort of magically shows up on the computer. And then when you get up, uh, it, it goes away. So that now you can, for the first time, have digital equity. Um, no, having a machine, say yeah. what? It's just amazing because so many times, you know, we send the students with disabilities home and they don't have access to the That's computers right. or, or the assistive technology or, I mean, it's so, to me, it is the way the world should work. When yeah. I go to go on my device, it should work the same, whether I'm using my own computer or I'm going to another computer. And sometimes, you know, I remember legends of us traveling, sorry. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a good idea, but also, also Greg, the one thing that I think is a huge issue is that when we age into a disability, so it's yeah. like and a lot of times, you know, the, your adult children that are trying to help the, the person that age into a disability, they don't have any idea where to begin. And I remember it, it happened with us, for example, my, my father-in-law, um, he lost his hearing. He became completely deaf and we just, but he didn't live in the same state that we all did. And so we just, we didn't know what to do and I'm in the business. So we yeah. wound up coming up with a plan, but the answer was not to teach my father-in-law who was 91 at the time, sign language, for example, right. it just yeah. was not a good fit. And so, and he still wanted to be on the computer and he was a very smart man. He was a medical doctor, but, it, and I want to make one more comment and then go back to, to Morphic. I remember working with uh, uh, the United States Marines um, years ago and on an accessibility project. And they said that um, they had made some assumptions about digital natives. And so these young men and women that were coming into our, our military, um, you know, they're digital natives. Right. But they were shocked to really understand that a lot of these individuals, because in the United States, some people join, quite a few join our military services so they can get access to education. And so they were really, and a lot of them are, you know, it, from a lower economic class because, you know, the way things are. And so a lot of these individuals, they did not have access to the gaming systems and the, the you know, cell phones and stuff like that. This was like five years ago, but they, they realized that they, a lot of the assumptions they had made about these younger individuals were absolutely incorrect. And so that, once again, just continues to validate why Morphic is needed. And Morphic, in my opinion, should be in all museums. It should be on all libraries. It should be in all refugee camps. It should be everywhere. I think corporations should be using it because, you know, why we really want to make our user experience very valuable. But at the same time, as an employer, you want me to be as productive as possible. So if I'm always down because you know, whatever, you know, it, it's a big deal. So let's, you know, I, I just want to ground that a little. No, you made a really excellent point. And, um, and it's people of all um, levels of socioeconomic and intelligence. We have uh, all these professors 
who, when the pandemic came along, couldn't figure out how to use Zoom and couldn't figure out how to get on their computer. They could use their computers, had been using their computers forever to do the things they did on their computers. But when you said, okay, we want you to do something new on your computer, um, you know, some of them, it was like, oh, this is easy, you know. And for other ones, it was like uh, deer in the headlight. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of students who said, you know, we were talking about doing something to help students get to the classrooms and stuff like that. And they said, can you give one to our professor? He doesn't seem to be able to sign on every week um, because every week it's something different. You know, if, you know, last week he figured it out, but then this week things were a little different and it didn't work. And it, this is the superstitious behavior. I did what I did last week and it didn't work. Uh, take us. How many times have you gone to, to launch a Zoom meeting or something else and you do it all the time and today it doesn't work and you just go, I have no idea what to do. And, and, sometimes and it worked 30 minutes ago, but oh, yeah. now it's not going to work. And you have no idea why. It's because we don't know how or why things. We just sort of know if we do this, then that will happen. Okay. Um, and um, But so we find uh, people who have struggled with technology, who are, are have IQs. I know people that are blazingly brighter than I am um, that, that, um, but it's, it's, you know, when they can't use technology and I can, it's like, oh, that's my consolation. Um, is <laughs> <it>? <laughs> the, um, so that um, we need to recognize that technology is like being tall or short. Okay. And some people are technology tall. And most of us, the computers are designed for people that are technology average and taller. But there are going to be some people who are uh, just have very low digital affinity. And um, and they're, the interfaces that we create are, are above them. And we know that because we know that we who are in the middle to the top of the technology have trouble with it can't get our TVs to work. You know, it's like, where was that? I know I found that program yesterday and then they keep changing the interface every day. So oh, yeah, the, uh, so the first thing that we started with Morphic, as I said, was worrying about this, the, uh, the AT pit. Uh, and then, uh, but when we went out and started working with, we found out there was a much bigger problem. And it was this digital affinity that we talked about. Um, and so we started working on figuring out how to make Morphic uh, easier. And one of the things we found is that a lot of people had trouble using the computer, but they couldn't uh, even see the screen. They didn't know about the stuff that was built in. So I'm going to share my screen here. I was going to say, yeah, we'd love for you to do a demonstration. And, uh, and show you a little bit. Yeah. So, um, uh, so this is Morphic. You see the little uh, chameleon here, and it pops up. So the first thing we did is we created a uh, what we'll think of as being a, a a basic uh, bar, and um, this one is free, and anybody can 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 get it. Um, and it works on the uh, Mac, and it also works on the PC, as you can see here. Um, and it just brings a, a number of the very simple things down here. For example, if you have things on the screen that are too small, you can just click on this, and it will make everything on the screen larger. Okay. Um, if you have something that you have trouble with, it's just small, you can just use the magnifier. And so you can come over and, and, and magnify. And of course, the mouse still works here. So you can see I can, if I want to, I can click on things here like this. Um, for people who um, have trouble uh, reading, uh, you could have something, for example, that uh, we have uh, read selected, which lets you just select any text you want to. And then you just click read. Orblind redirects here. For color blindness in other species, 
See co color vision. Factor. Vision. For other uses, see colorblind. Disambiguation. Colorblindness. Other names. Pause it. Start it. Now this is on the on the uh, Mac on the PC. We also have one and uh, that does doesn't have the same controls as on the Mac since that's built a built-in feature. Now these are things that are built into the operating system. The same things are over here. You see built in on the on the PC. Uh, text size. And again, you can see all of the things on screen. And if I just click on here, you can see that everything just got larger. Um, and I can make it get larger and larger and larger and larger. Um, can I and say one thing, Greg? I agree. All this stuff is built in the operating systems, but sometimes you just can't find them. I oh, was it's... trying to find, uh, yes. I wanted to make my mouse bigger. And, yep. and I, I use a Mac Book Air and I know that it's in the, I know where it is and I, I couldn't find it. I couldn't so, find it yesterday. So, yeah, so it, here's it, what you do. Shift him around. Yeah. And Morphic, <laughs> click on here and it says more settings to make it easier. And there's uh, pointer size, right? Wow. There. Wow. And yeah, you click on this and what it does is it drops you right into the exact place in the control panel where you need to be. That's okay. So, so you can so see my, more. you can see my mouse pointer getting bigger and smaller as I move back and forth. So, um, the, so that's what we do is, is this first level is to just make all the stuff that's there uh, available. Again, a lot of people, they want to take a picture of something to put it in a, in a, in a, in a report or something, uh, and they have to figure out how to do it. Um, you know, with Morphic, you can just uh, click on snip and it'll automatically give you the thing. You just clip it and then I could paste that into any uh, email or program that I want to. Um, same thing for color, contrast. For people who have colorblindness, you may get charts or diagrams and they say, well, it's, you know, it's in red or green or whatever, and you can't tell the difference. Right. Um, so we have here is a colorblindness. And you can see that just by clicking on this, uh, it can change the color shifts. And uh, again, if you right click, you can go to settings and it'll open up right into the particular control panel that lets you pick the kind of colorblindness that you have. And, and as you can see, the, the screen will filter differently for different kinds of colorblindness. Um, and again, this is on the Mac and on the PC, uh, we can do the same thing uh, where I can come into here and again, right click, go to set settings. And then here's all my colorblindness uh, filters here so that uh, all of this stuff is available. Now, once you set it to your particular kind of colorblindness, um, then uh, you can just turn it on off anytime you want to just by clicking on the button. And you got dark mode, night mode. And as I said before, there's a lot of other things here for making it pointer size, much keyboard settings, brightness, and, and all the accessibility. And so it brings them all to the front where you can use them. Now, another it's thing so that's interesting important. is- This is so important, Greg, because, oh, yeah. I, and, and I, I hope that when people are looking at this, they're not thinking, yeah, but that's already in the operate. It is so confusing and the operating systems are always changing and putting them in different places. This is huge for people that are aging into disabilities, people that are traumatized and in refugee camps, for just day everyday people like us that have so much content coming at us, so much we need to remember. I, I just think it's brilliant and so needed. I really do. Well, two other things about this. One of them is that the features are built in, um, but uh many people have no idea they are in there okay the every time we show this and it's interesting how many times we've showed it to people who do uh computer accommodation uh at at places now obviously they're not super expert but they are the ones who are doing it and um and they also say uh, like 
oh, well, I work with the people who have disability. I worked with, and I didn't know all that stuff was built in there. Um, but here's another important one. There are a lot of people who, who where this, the, the text on the screen is too small, but they don't have low vision. The text is just too small. Right. And uh, they're not going to go use things for people with disabilities because they don't have a disability. Um, we have a lot, a lot of, uh, that's of all ages, but it happens a lot in people who are older where the guy says, I, I don't have low vision. I just have old eyes. And we'd right. say, oh, okay, fine. So but this does not, these things are on here and they will use these, but they would never go into a disability access feature, number one, if they could find it, but almost always. Uh, so we're finding that in the places where we have this, these features, which are in every machine are used, you know, like, I don't know how many, 10,000, 100,000 times uh, as much um, because nobody can remember them being used at all before kind of thing. Uh, the, so it's, it's really a, a, an issue of, of making it so that it's easy to find and then easy to use. Um, right. I actually find that this is so convenient now that I, uh, I, that I use it myself. Um, and uh, and I'm, <laughs> my team, my staff, I hear people all the time that, are on our team and, and others now who said, I got this for somebody else, but you know, I use these things all the time. Uh, and this one's kind of nice to read selected. They even say, I'll just turn it on, click read selected and go get a cup of coffee and listen to my oh, email my while God. I'm getting my coffee. That is so important. And but the next one is that we had so many people who just plain can't use the computer at all. So we created the ability to have uh, custom morphic bars. So uh, here's, for example, a bar that might be created for somebody who is uh, older and um, they can't use a computer at all. All right. You, you know, it's a program. You tell them to launch a program and close a program. And they say, what's a program? And you go, uh, right. it's a bunch <laughs> of instructions. And he says, like a shopping list. And you go, well, yeah, shopping list is a bunch of instructions or programs. And no, it's... Um, uh, you know, there's nothing like a computer program in, in these people's uh, past. So right. um, they get a bar and I'll show you how easy it is to make one. And they click and there's the photos of the grandkids. That is so cool. They want the weather. There's the weather. There's uh -huh. that family Zoom call they can never get on. They click and uh, it not only does it. Well, I'm in a call right now, so I can't do I remember, it. Right. But um, it not only launch, it doesn't just launch Zoom and then they have to figure out how to use it. It literally drops them into the meeting. So they're supposed to call, they click. Now I have three people that I know, all of whom have grandparents who are, were very, very bright. One of them was a physics professor wow. and uh, they have a family call every week and every single week. And this has been true for the whole pandemic. Hmm. Um, he has to call his father who was a physics professor um, 20 minutes before the family call and slowly talk him through the process of getting onto Zoom. And then when he's on there, he's animate, he can tell stories, he can tell jokes. Uh, you know, he's got all of his past mind and memories, but he does not have any ability to learn something new or to remember new things or to figure them out. Um, right. He just clicks on this and bingo, he's in. Uh, click on this again. It doesn't open up Skype and then you have to find the name and then you have to go up here and click on the right and right. you click and it drops you here. You figure out if you want your camera on or not and you click start and you're into Skype call. You want to see the Sunday service? Click. And now you're in the Sunday service. You want to see the grandkids? 
you want to see the weather, you want to see your mail, um, your daughter's uh, you Facebook. To, uh, that's yeah, your Facebook. Uh, you want to read something, you want something larger, you want to turn the magnifier on because uh, you want to be able to see something, uh, you can, you know, can do that um, uh, kind of a thing. So it's all just right there. Now, and this you can uh, easily make by just uh, making one up yourself. So I'm just going to show you here quickly uh, how this works. Um, so here is the, the thing where I have a subscription. I'm going to actually make this a little larger so that it's a little easier for the people to see. There you go. Um, and uh, so here's uh, Sally, and uh, I'm going to create a bar for Sally. Um, so, yeah, continue. Uh, and so let me create a new bar for her since I already have one going. So here's a new bar I'm going to create for Sally. And uh, here are all the buttons. So uh, she really likes wow. to get on Amazon. So I just drop that up. Uh, so I just click on this and bingo, there's an Amazon button. Um, she, uh, she really loves digging around on YouTube. Um, and, uh, let's see, we want to be able to get her email. So let's, um, uh, make sure we find a, a good email site. Let's see, she's uses Gmail. So we'll put that on there. Uh, and then she has this knitting thing where she really likes to go to. So, uh, she can just click on this one and you can make wow. up a new one. So I just paste in, so I'll put knitters, uh, spell it wrong, right? I don't know what the name of a, uh, I'm going to say knittersworld.com uh, and see if there is such a thing. There is not. Uh, and then it'll tell you. So you know that. You uh, but it'll tell you if you got it wrong. Oh, there is a knittersworld.com. How do you like that? So I just guess. Uh, so then I, I just put on here knitting. Um, and uh, I don't need to have that uh, image on there. I'll just put knitting and I'll make it uh, red, which is her favorite color and save. And now she clicks on this and it'll open up her Knitting's World uh, website. And of course you can do this for all of them. And uh, you can leave the icons on there. Or if you say, oh, they don't need the icon, you can get rid of it and make room for another button. Um, and then when you're done, you just push save and wow. this will show up. And then later, if she says, oh, you know, I really need this other one for this conference call we do, this, right. this Zoom call. So you say, okay, so we click on Zoom. You paste in the meeting web, you put, you know, family Zoom. Uh, I don't need that icon. And uh, let's see now, zoom.com <laughs> slash uh, something. I don't know. Um, and then you just save. And um, yep, I know it's a, it's got <laughs> right. and uh, and now I just push save and bingo that shows up on her bar on her computer even though I'm in California and she's in in Wisconsin. Okay, so that she can now have it. Um, and, then, and I think of your I think of children with disabilities that your parents set it up and going because a lot of times the the teachers, they don't know how to do this. But right. Greg, I know that we are um, almost at it. We're out of time. But will you talk a little bit about assistive technology, how this works? Because I love that part. Sure. Of it. sure. Uh, I just want to show one more thing. You mentioned company. Okay, cool. So, so here's a strip for company uh, that just shows all of the things that a person at a company would need to do to make wow. it so people will be confused. And so you can make ones uh, custom for any application. So for somebody who has an assistive technology, um, what they would do is it, they install it on their, on their home computer. Um, and then again, they can um, uh, uh, just sort of click on here and then they go up to 
save current setup. Okay. And when they click on this, it will then go and it'll find all the settings uh, on their computer. All right. And then uh, what it'll do is it'll give them a list of all of the things that it found on their computer, the uh, assistive technology and the, the settings, uh, the accessibility settings. And then there's just a list and you pick off the ones you want to save. And then you pick on the ones you want to have uh, automatically launch. Uh, and then you just click save. And now you can go to any other computer um, and you just click and you come up to apply a safe setup or just even just sign into the machine. You can have it that when you sign in, it'll automatically do uh, all of that. Bring your assistive technologies down and set them up for you. So and we're actually I, even working. We're actually yeah, working with testing sites now too. Yeah, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go oh, ahead. I, go yeah, ahead. we're also working with tech testing sites also, oh. so that um, the goal would be that uh, the testing site has a clean computer, a sterile computer that you can come in and bring not your AT, but a copy, a clean copy of the same AT you use. And then it'll set up exactly like your AT, but we're also working on making it so it'll turn off any particular feature in the AT. Sometimes you're taking a spelling test and you have a spell checker built into your AT. Um, and so they say, well, you can't use the AT. So we can say, well, no, we can turn it on, but we can turn off the spell checker for you so that uh, it can take the test. They get everything just like everybody else. Um, and uh, it's not some piece of AT. It's like giving somebody else your glasses to take a test. Right. Um, you know, you want to have it set up the way you need it to be. But it's so amazing because one problem that we see a lot is that, you know, it, just looking at a student, a student will go to school and they'll have everything set up the way they want. But then when they go home, they don't have access to that. And you see that happening all the time. I know that there was big arguments in the States about who does that belong to that assistive technology the schools bought? Does that belong to the individual or to the school? And then the child was moving between, you know, elementary and to middle and, and, it, and it wasn't following or they were even going home and they couldn't use it. So I think well, or they go to their tutors or they go to their right, grandmother's right, house. Right. Um, right, and, right. You know, Think of kids so get, who get taken care of and get shifted around and they're supposed to do their homework when they're at grandma's house. Well, does grandma have a computer? Is, is, is their AT from their school on grandma's computer? And um, set up right? Is it all exactly. set up for their needs? Because it's exactly. complicated. Right. The, yeah. So, all right. I know that we have gone long, but I love what you're doing. I think there's so many applications. So, I would um, ask a couple of questions and then I will let you go. I know I've kept you long, but first of all, the I would want to know um, how do people find you and how do they find Morphic? And also I would really want you to tell us, Greg, how can society help you with this? What do you need? Do you need corporations supporting you? I mean, what can we do? Do you, because I want to get you into the United Nations so they can see what you're doing because you know, computers are complicated. Technology is complicated, but this is a way to make sure that humans, no matter which computers they go to, can use, can be successful at it. So the, um, well, the first thing is if you just go to morphic.org, um, you will find uh, uh, all about it. Um, the, uh, if you go to the basic features uh, and, the, uh, and the plus features uh, on those pages, you will find right here, a two-minute video. It's really quick. It gives you a demonstration. Uh, you can click here. You can get Morphic. It's free. And the reason it's free is because of contributions. Uh, 
And right. so one of the ways that you can help for people, especially people who can't have, wouldn't be able to afford it uh, if we had to charge for it, is, is to contribute. Um, and we also have the plus uh, version, which is the part where you can customize them. You, you know, um, And right now, between now and the end of September, because uh, we're just uh, still under uh, grant funding, uh, you can get Morphic Plus subscription free for life. Uh, and if we get enough subscriptions, we'll be able to make it free for life for, for everybody else uh, as well. Uh, what if I wanted to donate? Where do I go to donate? Do I do it here on this, this screen? I know that we also are going to do a crowdfunding more for Morphic because we want Morphic all over the world. But wh how, where would somebody go to donate to you? Well, you can uh, write info at morphic.org uh, and that'll get us to us. You can always go to the FAQ page um, and down at the bottom, it says, you know, how can I help with word deed okay. or funding? Uh, okay. And this will always give you the latest information on how to do it. Uh, right. So it tells you about how to make a donation or stuff. But if you have any questions about it, really go to the FAQ. It's really uh uh, it, it doesn't look like it's very long, but it turns out each one of these expands into many more questions uh, so that you can always easily find the question you want uh, answered about privacy, cost, uh, anything else about it. And if you're a corporation watching this, think what the benefit to your employees. You know, if yes. you're a university, think about the benefit. to. I mean, this is so powerful. And. You know, it's becoming more and more confusing to use the computer. It just is. We have more and more data coming at us. But all right. So morphic.org, Dr. Greg Vanderheiden. We're going to talk more about this on Twitter on Tuesday. But let me also thank our sponsors, Barclays Access. We love you. Um, My Clear Text, which makes sure we're fully accessible. And Microlinker. We just so much appreciate your supports. And I will also say, do look for crowdfunding. We're going to do a crowdfunding because and also Billion Strong, we are getting behind Morphic because we think this is something that will change, you know, our community in a very, very powerful way. So you're going to see a lot about Morphic on Billion Strong. And uh, Dr. Vanderheiden has been kind enough to be one of our uh, our advisors. But I, I love this. And I just think and, you know, people might say, well, I'm so smart. I don't need. Yeah, whatever. If you are good for you, but people like me and so many other people, we need Morphic and we need to support what Dr. Vander Heiden is doing. So thank you so much for being on the okay. show today. Thank you. And I hope Neil and Antonio have a wonderful holiday and we will see you all on Twitter. Bye, everyone. <laughs>